0: So today we're continuing our series titled, Do You Know Him? And as I've said each week, what we're really trying to do is just uncover who God really is. So we, we've talked about his character, his attributes, his traits, what makes him who he is so that we can then step into a relationship with him. So um, it, it's kind of like a, a speed dating exercise where we're just gathering as much information as we can so that we can rightly and truly step into a relationship with Him. So we're going to continue that endeavor um, today. We're right in the middle of the series, so I just kind of want to encourage everybody. If you've missed a week, that's not a problem. We put all of our messages online. Make sure you're going back and listening to those so you're getting the full picture that we're all kind of on the same page as we move forward. Um, But I do want to just do a quick summary, a really quick recap that would bring us up to today. So week one, we talked about how God is spirit that that's what he's made of, that he's different than all of his creation, that really all we can say about God being spirit is that it must be the most wonderful, excellent way to be. We can't really fully comprehend it. We can't fully grasp it, but that's who he is. He's everywhere all at once with all of who he is. So he cannot be far away from us. He cannot be closer than he already is. He's everywhere all at once, and that's what makes him so great. The next week, we talked about how God is immutable, how he cannot change, that we can stand firm in who he is and his character and his purposes and his promises and how that should build up our faith. And then last week, we talked about how God is wise, that when we understand his power and his knowledge and just how immeasurable it truly is, then we see his wisdom at work. We talked about the story of Joseph and these ups and downs that he went through, these really high highs, these really low lows, and how somehow God's wisdom was working through all of that. Somehow that was the best route for Joseph. And so we talked about our own lives, how we go through things that we can't possibly think God is working in the middle of it. There's there's no way that God is working in this mess, and yet that's exactly what he's doing in his infinite wisdom, and so we have to trust in that. So um, that brings, brings us up to speed and it really should uh, be a pretty seamless transition into today's message. And I think that will come into scope as we move forward. So um, there are some things in the Bible that we really have to scratch and claw to get the clarity that we need. Um, even some of the things we've talked about in this series already, it really takes very focused and purposeful study to pull it out. We have to kind of yank it out in order to get the truth. And an important thing to keep in mind is even if we see something in the Bible just one time, we can rely on that. That's, that's truth. We're talking about the word of God. It's inerrant. We cannot add to it. We cannot take away from it. So even the tiniest of little truths that we find, we can rely on that. We can apply it to our own lives. But then we see these topics we see these themes that really, when it gets down to it, we can't avoid. Like It's, it's right there in your face. It's constant. It's, it's frequent. You might even say that it's redundant. And so today, we're going to talk about one of those, quote unquote, easy topics that we read about in the Bible. Okay, So this is how I want to start. This is how I want to kind of roll this out. I'm just going to read through some scripture really quick, and I just want to allow you to catch on to the theme. Okay, it should be pretty obvious, but I just want you to see how prevalent this is in scripture. So let's go. Philippians 4.9, whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put it into practice and the God of peace will be with you. 1 Thessalonians 5.23, may God himself, the God of peace, sanctify you through and through. Hebrews 13.20, now may the God of peace equip you with everything good for doing his will. Romans 16, 20, the God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. 2 Thessalonians three sixteen. now may the Lord of peace himself give you peace at all times and in every way. And Romans 15, 33, the God of peace be with you all. It's a, it's a pretty obvious theme that we're seeing in the Bible. So today we're gonna talk about the God of peace. Now, this may be something that you've already heard about as it relates to God. And even if you haven't heard about it, maybe you just kind of assumed, right? If he's a good God, we can logically draw the line that he is the God of peace. Now, interestingly enough, um, over the course of the history of theology, the study of Scripture... Peace actually wasn't classified as a characteristic of God. And it's not because it's not prevalent in the Bible, but it's because theologians weren't really sure if peace would qualify as an attribute of somebody. But as we just read through all of those different scriptures, these are letters that the Apostle Paul is sending out to the churches all throughout the region, And the message that he's sending to the churches, the message that he wants them to receive is pretty clear, right? We serve the God of peace. Now, despite this being one of those easy topics that we read about in the Bible, I really just wanna dig into this a little bit and figure out how it really relates to God and how it relates to us, okay? So don't fade away from me. Let's stick together, and I think we'll learn something here today okay? Now, the Bible really gives us a a deeper understanding of what peace means as it relates to God. We read in 1 Corinthians 14.33, it says, for God is not a God of confusion, but of peace. Now, the word translated here as confusion in the Greek also means disorder or unrest. So he's not a God of confusion or disorder or unrest. He's a God of peace. Now, quick side note here if we look within the context of this scripture, Paul, again, he's writing to the church of Corinth and he's actually talking to them about spiritual gifts. So these are gifts from God. And so what he's he's showing this church is, this is how these gifts need to be properly used. This is how they should be utilized within the right context. So even today, if you see someone who is causing confusion and chaos and they're calling it a spiritual gift, that's probably a pretty good sign that that's not a spiritual gift from God, right? Why would he give us a gift that causes confusion, that, that goes against who he is? And so this is what we can take from all of these things. The way that God works, the way that he communicates, even the gifts that he gives is all to bring about peace, If you wanna know what God wants to do in your life, if you wanna know how he wants to use you, you can be sure it's to bring about peace. It's really one of the surest ways that we know we serve a good God, right? What if God just really enjoyed confusing us? Like he just really got his kicks off of throwing us for a loop. We couldn't then also say that he's a loving God. We couldn't then also say that he's for our good. Right, Because that doesn't line up with who he is. So this idea allows us to really rest in his true identity that he is loving, he is merciful, he is good because it's all to bring about peace. Now, maybe you're cynical and you read through Paul's letters and you just say, you know what, I don't really buy it. I think, I think maybe this guy was just off course. Maybe he was confused himself as to what peace really means. Well, let me tell you the surest way that we know we serve the God of peace. There can be no question, no objection about it. And let me prove this to you. As we read through the Bible, we see a lot of things. There's a lot of stuff to take in. We see wars, we see family disputes, we see moral failures, we see miracles, we see teachings. All of these things that we're trying to take in. And yet at the same time, there's really one prevailing theme that is going throughout the whole book. And so let me prove this to you. Let's start at the beginning in Genesis. God creates the heavens and the earth. He creates existence as we know it. And within it, he creates man and woman. Now what we have to understand is God created us in his image. It's called the Imago Dei, that somehow morally, spiritually, intellectually, we can share in God's image. That's what makes us distinct from all of the rest of God's creation. So, in the beginning, we see the crowning achievement of His creation walking earth. We see them living in complete harmony. There's no shame, there's no guilt to be found in anyone. It's really as God intended it to be. And then this situation comes up where mankind is tempted. And really, with not much pushback, they give in and they disobey God. And through that, we see this fracture that begins in the cosmos. We see that the ground is cursed. We see that men and women are dealt their individual punishments, and we see sin entering into the picture. And as we read through the Old Testament, these themes are very prevalent. We see this constant fight to listen to and to obey God. It's a constant fight. We see generations who are blessed because of their obedience. We see generations who are cursed because of their ignorance, this constant tussle to stay in harmony with God. Now, back in those days, um, they could really only find temporary ways to be reconciled with God. And so they would do these things that God prescribed. And really what it would do is it would just roll their sins back a year. It was just this constant, never-ending cycle of rolling their sins back, just this temporary process that was in place. And as we read through the Bible further, what we begin to see is that there's only one who can provide the permanent resolution. There's only one who can heal that fracture that started in the beginning and heal it once and for all. And so we get into the New Testament and we see John 1.14, it says, the word became flesh. We know him as Jesus, and he was a carpenter in the town of Nazareth, and he began to spread wisdom throughout all of Israel like had never been seen before, and he had 12 of his buddies that would go with him, and as they would work, many more would follow, and he healed the sick. He raised people from the dead, and he proclaimed himself the son of God, and in the end, his own people would disown him the religious elite would turn their backs on him, so much so that he was beaten, he was whipped, he had a crown of thorns pressed onto his skull, and he hung on the cross, and with his last breath, he declared, it is finished. Now, you might hear that and say, well, yeah, his, his life is coming to a close. He's saying, my life is finished. That's not at all what the translation is saying. When he says, it is finished, what he's saying is, the job is done. My work is complete. And now through him, our debt is paid. Now, three days later, he raises from the dead. He spends 40 days with his followers, just kind of preparing them for what was to come. And so through one man's death and resurrection, that fracture that began was now restored. There was a true eternal redemption that occurred through Jesus. Now we read in the Bible that it says, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. That means that while Christ was on the cross, he didn't think to himself, man, I really hope mankind figures this out and just stops messing around here. He did it with the full knowledge that you and I would break his commandments, that we would disobey his call, that we would disown him, and yet he did it anyways. That's what the whole Bible is about. That is the point. If you want to get down to the brass tacks, that's what it's about. What mankind messed up in the beginning, God restored through Jesus. Now, you might be saying, well, how does that relate to today's message? Because the whole theme of the Bible, the whole point of it was to bring about peace, When sin entered the picture, we see confusion, we see chaos, we see disorder running rampant. There doesn't seem to be reconciliation at all. And when Christ came and he died for our sins, peace and order were immediately restored. We read this in Colossians 119. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. That's the point, to bring about peace. In fact, this is kind of cool. 700 years before Jesus ever walked on earth, 700 years before, there's a man by the name of Isaiah who prophesies about the coming of Jesus. And I think you'll see an interesting theme in what he has to say. Isaiah 9, verse six. For to us, a child is born. To us, a son is given. And the government will be on his shoulders. And he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the greatness of his government and peace, There will be no end. Are you seeing it? Are you getting it? Throughout the whole Bible, from story to story, from event to event, it was all to bring about peace. Paul was absolutely right with no equivocation. We serve the God of peace. Now, as is the case with all of these topics, as we uncover, as we unroll them, I always wanna just stop and take some time to ask ourselves, how does this apply to me? How can I ensure that this plays itself out in my life? And so in order to answer those questions, I just wanna give two really quick points here, okay? Now, we've talked a lot in this series about how it's important to understand that all of God's attributes work together. They come together. So um, his love, his mercy, his anger, his power, all coming seamlessly together to make him the perfect God that he is, So now that we've established that he's the God of peace, I wanna talk about how that coincides with the rest of who he is, how that works together with the rest of who he is. And I think the result might surprise you a little bit. Okay, so with peace in one hand, let's read a couple of verses that show an interesting correlation. Psalm 121, four says, he will not let your foot slip. He who watches over you will not slumber. Indeed, he who watches over Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. Let me reinforce this with John 5:17. In his defense, Jesus said to them, "My father is always at his work to this very day, and I too am working." When we all think about peace and the way that we understand it, we think of rest. We think of sleep, we think about sprawling out on the couch and, and watching TV, right? But listen, in God, peace does not equal inactivity. He's the God of peace, and yet he neither sleeps nor slumbers. He is always working. We actually see this play out in God's people in the book of Acts. Um, We've got the apostles who are starting and building the church. They're starting and building the church, and so what we see is these guys are traveling nonstop. They're riding donkeys through the scorching heat. They're sailing through stormy waters, Literally at every corner, they're being attacked, they're being beaten, they're being thrown into prison. And yet this is what we read in Acts 9.31. So the church throughout all of Judea and Galilee and Samaria enjoyed peace. We have a real misconception about what peace is because it's not just sitting on your butt and doing nothing. It's about ordered and controlled activity that lines up with God's will. If we go back to the book of Isaiah just one more time, chapter 57, verse 19, it says this of the righteous. I will comfort those who mourn, bringing words of praise to their lips. May they have abundant peace, both near and far, says the Lord who heals them. But those who still reject me are like the restless sea, which is never still, but continually churns up mud and dirt. There is no peace for the wicked. Says my God. When we dedicate ourselves to God's ways and we stand firm in them, that's when we experience peace. When we are actively pursuing the things of God and what He's laid out for us, that's when we experience peace. That's why around here we always want to prioritize discipleship and ministry we will ask, we will beg if we have to for you to get involved and to see what God can do through you because when he's working through you, that's when you experience peace. And that brings us into the last point as the worship team comes up. Peace is trusting in God. So if you just think about it, if we're remaining active, if we're moving, if we're going, that means that in the process, we have to be trusting that God knows what he's doing. Because I don't wanna mislead anybody here. Even as we follow in God's ways, even even as we remain active in his will, we will experience hardships. We will experience pain. Peace is not skipping over the heartaches of life. It's trusting that God is carving out the perfect path for you and I. And that's where last week's message plugs right into today's. We, we said that God's wisdom means that he always knows the best goals for us and the best means to those goals. And so as we move in that, as we trust in that, that's when we experience true peace. We read in Proverbs 3.17, this is what it says of wisdom. Her ways are pleasant ways and all her paths are peace. Peace has to be linked with trusting in the wisdom of God. If you're confused about what's going on in your life right now and you look around and there's nothing but chaos and mess, that doesn't mean that God has forsaken you. It means that you're not trusting that he's moving. You're not trusting that he's working because when you trust in that, that's when you experience peace. One of my favorite things to do as a a young boy was to go to the Cardinals game. And I can just remember with my dad, with my brother, getting excited to, to go to the game. And honestly, I was so young at times, I don't even remember really what was going on in the game. But here's what I remember. We would drive downtown, we would park in the parking garage. It wasn't one that I was familiar with. I just remember not knowing where we were going. I didn't know how we were gonna get there. As we're walking down the street, there are thousands of strangers all around. And to me, it was chaos. It was confusion. And I just remember every once in a while just kind of glancing up and just making sure that my dad was right there. Because I knew he knew where we were going. I knew that he was in control. This is something that you and I need to do more of. If you're going through your day and it just seems chaotic, like nothing seems to be coming together, or or you, you might have a horrific situation that has just smacked you in the face. Listen, just stop and glance up and just know he's in control. He knows what he's doing. He knows where you're going. And even in the middle of the chaos, you can still get peace. Everything that God does is to bring about peace. We read earlier, says that God is not the God of disorder. Another translation says he's not the author of confusion you might be in the middle of a situation that just seems so crazy you can't tell right from left you're so off track that it's not even funny and it might just be that God is working in only the way that he knows best and it's time to trust in that I have to think in today's world we could all desperately use some peace Every day is just full of tension and anxiety and stress and pressure. I think peace would be really valuable for us, be really needed in our lives. And all you have to do is just follow in his ways, stay in his will, and as he's moving, just trust him. If you could just stand with me. trusting in God continues to be a prevalent theme in this series. And I'm starting to think that's for a reason, that maybe we've got a group of people here that are truly seeking after God, but you don't trust him. You don't trust that he's strong enough to handle your situation. You don't trust that he's wise enough to carve out the perfect path for you. And I'm just here to reassure you, we're talking about the God of peace. would just close your eyes right now. This is just something that I like to do to just get rid of all the distractions. Just really focus in on him. We're we're about done here, I promise. But just the next couple of minutes, we're going to focus in on him. If you look around your life and it just seems like chaos, disorder, and you need some peace, I just encourage you to talk to him right now. I don't know what you're going through. I don't know what your situation is. But just talk to him. Tell him, God, I don't know what you're doing. It doesn't make sense to me, but I'm going to trust in you. I'm going to lean into you because I know you're in control. You know what you're doing. And while I'm trusting in you, God, can you just give me some peace? Can you just give me the peace that I need right now in this time in my life? I think if you ask Him for that, He might just provide it. He might just give you exactly what you need. You're looking around and there's no progress. You're looking around and you don't see the results that you want to see. But God is working, He's moving. It's time to trust. It's I thought, time to but trust. now they fall. But you have never failed me. Waiting for change to come. Knowing the battle's won, for you have never failed me yet. Listen, no matter what you're going through, you can sing this right now to God. Your promise still stands, great is your faithfulness, your faithfulness still in your hands, this is my confidence, you never fail, your promise still stands, great is your faithfulness, your faithfulness.